What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Legendary Habitat Podcast. This is your host, Colin Koskinen. I am excited to dive into this podcast. Uh, this episode, I'm bringing on Brad Harper from Harper Growing Solutions, and we're going to be just discussing um, some good things to, to uh, look at on your soil test. Uh, a lot of guys planting spring um, uh, food plots and getting ready for that. So, so we go over some different details of uh, some different things to look at on your soil tests that are important. Uh, we also dive into some alternatives to uh, glyphosate with the higher cost this year. And uh, we also kind of dive into um, more about how, is it healthy for our health, uh, for the soil, and for the deer. Um, and then some maybe alternatives uh, if you want to not use that. So I'm uh, really excited to kind of dive into this. So without further ado, we will dive in. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. So we have uh, Brad Harper on here. <clears throat> How you doing, Brad? I'm doing good. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks a lot for coming on here. I yeah, appreciate it. Thanks. So uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, just give a little background about yourself and uh, your company, and then uh, we'll uh, dive into some different um, topics that I've got planned for tonight and see where it takes us. Okay, absolutely. Uh... Yeah, I'm Brad Harper. Uh, I have Harper Growing Solutions. Um, I've been a farm consultant and a farmer for a while. And uh, this will be year number four that uh, kind of dived into the food plot side. You know, we've been doing food plots on our place for, oh, geez, 15, 16 years, something like that. Um, and it was something that I've always been passionate about. And with my background in farming and stuff, it just everything fits so well that uh, figured I could hopefully at least help some guys out and it's been work, working out good and uh, staying busy. So I cannot complain. Yeah, no, for sure. Every time seems like every time I get a hold of you, you're always doing something or meeting somebody or doing, seems like you're busy guy. So that's, that's good. I'm really glad that uh, this is taking off for you and seems like you really, really love doing it and love helping people. And uh, sounds like you've had some great success and I've had some great success using the product. So, looking forward to continue using them yeah absolutely so, for sure so um yeah i think uh you know there's a lot of guys that are uh, gonna be thinking about planting food plots this spring and uh, they're gonna be sending in their soil tests so i think it'd be great to uh kind of dive into uh just give a brief um background on on breaking down your soil tests that you might get back and kind of what's the most important thing to look at Obviously, you've got your, uh, you know, your kind of your core um, nutrients, your N, P, and K, and then, uh, of course, your, your pH. Um, but maybe some other things that you have seen from guys working in the industry in the food plot. Um, you know, you obviously, you've seen probably hundreds of soil tests and all, all types of different soils. So maybe some things that guys can look at and uh, get a simple baseline. Um, and then maybe kind of comparing... Um, your your costs of your products um kind of versus a lot of products that are out right now with your granular fertilizers um and it might be a good idea to to think about maybe switching to liquid um and maybe kind of dive into that and give a little background on that yeah absolutely so definitely starting with a soil test is going to be your best friend in the long run um definitely do your research as far as what lab you're thinking about using and how they 
conduct their tests and the information they give, because there's a lot of different labs that will give you a result, but it doesn't give you all the information that technically you really want to have. For example, Michigan State, even though they're a big agricultural college and everything else, their soil tests are worthless. I mean, it's ridiculous that you uh, bring it to the college and they don't give you half the information that you really want. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that as long as you kind of do your research ahead of time, you know, obviously pH is one, uh, your phosphorus, your potassium, calcium, uh, base saturations are a huge part of what I use to put together programs as well as organic matter. And that's something like MSU, they leave out a few of those. Um, and I don't know, maybe you got to pay more for that. I'm not sure, but you can easily find other labs that their base test will give you all the information that you need. And again, just to run through those, uh, organic matter is huge. Obviously, um, you know, your pH is going to be there and that's huge. CEC is another one that we really like to look at, especially when we're talking about lime. Yep. That's one of the key, you know, components as far as figuring out the rates of lime and, and how to adjust more soils. So that's a, a great one to have. And a lot of guys, that's probably the biggest question that I get is what is CEC? Mm-hmm. Cation exchange capacity. So basically all that does is on paper, that tells us what type of soil that is. So like, let's just say if you think about a triangle that has three different points on it, therefore your CEC would be three. And that's how many cations, you know, can attach to the soil and hold on to those nutrients. So when you're in a sandier soil, like let's say three, that's a whole lot different than if you're in a, a heavy loam or a clay soil. When you get up to 10 or 15 EEC, it's just a whole different ballgame. But having that information is going to be huge. And then when you start kind of going down the list, I think base saturation is probably the biggest component to look at because the chemical extraction tests, which are most likely what everyone's going to have on the food class side. Okay. That's just telling you what nutrients are in your soil. That's not necessarily testing what's plant available or anything like that. When you look at base saturations, that's a little different story that you can really dive in a little deeper because um, that will most likely give you magnesium and calcium, which are going to be a, a big component of how good you can be able to grow your roots. Um, magnesium in the soil, when it's uh, gets above 18% base saturation, you're going to have really tight soils. And a lot of the times that's where you might get a quarter inch of rain, but you go try to walk around on your dirt and you got 10 pounds of mud sticking to your boots. Yep. And a lot of the times guys will think that that's clay. You know, hey, I got clay dirt because that's what, that's what happens. But a lot of the times that can actually just be high magnesium. You might have really good heavy dirt, but if you have high magnesium, then it tends to really stick together like that because it's so tight. Yeah, so no, that's a that's that's that definitely great. Have, as well as calcium, we always like to see that above sixty five percent base saturation, and and if you're down in the fifties or the forties, there's a huge opportunity to be able to do an application of calcium um, to you know really bump up your success. Yeah, no, for sure. And a, a firsthand example of that um, uh, last year, me and Brad were both working on. I had some screening, and um, 
it, I was noticing, uh, uh, well, a lack of growth for sure. And, um, I also noticed a little bit of brown speckles in my, um, in my leaf. And I know that was one of the things that you pointed out to me that it could be a possibility. And, uh, so you got me set up with some calcium and, uh, I hit it and, uh, I, you know, waited after a couple rains, it'd been a couple weeks and I noticed a huge difference in, in growth. And, uh, you know, I would say probably 90% of those, um, those brown, those spots on that, on that sorghum went away. So, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, I'm not obviously uh, professional as far as looking at, at leaves and really knowing deficiencies, but I know that was one of the things that you mentioned. So maybe that's that's one thing to look for, you know, for guys to look at your screening. Um, you know, you can kind of tell me if that's right or wrong. No, I, absolutely. And, and like I said, too, like exactly the scenario that me and you went through when we were kind of working through that was, you know, hey, let's go out, let's do this. And all of a sudden we run into issues and it's like, okay, let's dive a little deeper. What's next? You know, and right. I mean, we get that with everything, whether it's granular or liquid. I mean, it doesn't really matter because we can kind of put together a program looking at that soil test, but there's still so much other stuff going on in that soil that we're not really able to look at. And we're not, you know, what weather is such a big thing too. So kind of having all that information on your soil test, that's only going to help you down the road, especially when you run into issues, because if you wouldn't have had all of that information that we had, we not, we wouldn't have been able to say, Hey, okay, that isn't working like we wanted it to, but here's another possibility of what the issue could be. So let's try this. We did it and it kind of fixed itself. And yep. So we're good. Absolutely. Information, we kind of would have been stuck not knowing what to, where to turn next. Yeah. And you could end up, you know, throwing all kinds of different stuff out, wasting a lot of time and money, you know, and ultimately, you know, uh, not still having um, poor results. So that definitely saves a lot of time and money for sure. So, no, yeah, that's awesome. Um, gives the guys some great stuff to to uh, look at on their tests. Um, I don't know if you if you were done talking about that, if you kind of want to keep going um, as far um, as I, different I think stuff. That... One thing to talk about on a soil test that is not 100% understood, I'm going to say, and I see it coming from the ag side and the food plot side a lot. Mm -hmm. When we're looking at a soil test, just because either A, you, you have some phosphorus or potassium or calcium levels that are in the good category or... You know, they're up there as far as, you know, you might be in the high category or what have you. However, that test lays that out. Um, one thing to, to kind of remember is that just because it's there and high or very high, that doesn't mean that you have a bunch of that nutrient that's readily available to the plants. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times, especially when you're using granular, I mean, you might have phosphorus that might be low. So you go out with maybe a high phosphorus fertilizer. And with granular, you're going to get a bunch of tie-ups. But on the soil test, that'll bump your phosphorus way up. So you're going to think, oh, hey, that was great. But that still doesn't mean that all of that's available to the plant. So that's just something to keep in mind. And I think that's where, especially like me and you always talk about with, uh, you know, the no-till or big diverse uh, cover crop plantings and trying to really make our soil healthy, well, as soon as we can get our soil working and doing good things and, and 
really get that working for us, then we yep. can slowly make those nutrients available. So when you are very high, it might not help you right now, but as soon as we can get that soil working, that's going to really help you in the long run and down the road having those nutrient levels where they're at when they are high like that. That's just one thing to kind of keep in mind that guys might want to plant brassicas because their phosphorus is up there and their potassium might be up there. But I can't tell you how many calls that I get saying, Hey, my soil tests look really good, but now all my brassicas are turning purple. What's going on? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly yep. that same scenario that the phosphorus is in the soil. It's just not hundred percent readily plant available. Yeah, no, for sure. You know what? You always want to, you know, if you can make your soil work for you, because ultimately soil, you know, we've learned through different research, soil will ultimately fix itself if you give it what it needs and it's, and it's actually, uh, you know, functioning properly and, and there's uh, um, biology working in, in the soil. It'll all work for your good of your soil. So no, for sure. Those are, those are awesome. Uh, awesome topics. Uh, real quick question. So as far as that, um, that brassica you just mentioned that was purpling, um, for a, a client like that, uh, what, what, what exactly is that? Just to touch on really quick. Um, if, if you're seeing different stuff happening with the brassicas, obviously I've seen, you know, brassicas kind of turn yellow, some turn purple, you know, what have you kind of learned with those different signs? Kind of going back to what we learned with the sorghum, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if any crop or any leaves are turning purple, that's a phosphorus deficiency. Okay. If you have, again, any crop, any leaves, if they're turning yellow, starting on the outsides and working their way in, that's going to be potassium. If you have the middle of the leaf turning yellow and working its way out, that's a nitrogen deficiency. Okay. That's why all the time I'm like, hey, can you send me pictures? Send me pictures. Send me pictures. Yeah. So I look at those leaves and be able to read that. Um, it's kind of good and bad because that's telling you, hey, I need some of this. And most of the time that's kind of late that – you know, we're going to, we're not going to be able to reach our highest potential possible, but at least that's going to help teach you that down the road. Hey, okay. I was phosphorus deficient in my brassicas. Yeah. Okay. Try to fix that next time. Or, you know, Hey, I was um, nitrogen deficient in my screen or maybe my clovers um, has a little potassium deficiency. All those things will help you in the long run. And that's actually a great thing to learn. But again, that's something that, uh, you know, I get to call, Hey, my leaves are yellow. What's going on? And that's where send me a picture. Where is it turning yellow? Where is it starting? Um, those kinds of th issues to where once you know that, um, and as soon as you see that you're able to go in, you know, a little bit sooner and make that correction in order to help you have, you know, higher yields and, and better success. Yeah, for sure. Have you noticed uh, very often that, you know, I've heard and seen before if, if a plant is, either has too much water or not enough, um, you'll kind of get that same yellowing of the leaves. Is that pretty true? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where uh, the pictures are so crucial for when guys send them to me. Mm -hmm. Now, it's like the onset of deficiencies and or too much water or too little water. The onset is very hard to tell. 
and that's something to where having that good soil sample and then knowing, you know, what type of dirt that is and everything else, that'll really help narrow that down and be able to find that answer quicker. Yeah, for sure. Just with saying, hey, my leaves are yellow, um, that's going to be really hard to make that determination. So kind of having all of that information to be able to pick through and decide, okay, hey, especially for me, not, you know, being able to be on that guy's property or something like that. But, you know, most guys will say, hey, I know that this ground is a little wet. If we get more than an inch and a half of rain, I got water standing for a couple weeks or something. Well, then if, if they start turning yellow when that happens, you can probably assume that, yeah, they're just wet. That's okay. I'll just let it dry out. There's not much I can do at the moment. That's okay. But if it's a, you know, a spot that's not really been a wet spot in the past, but the leaves are turning yellow with a decent amount of rain, well, then we can start looking in, into, okay, is that in the middle of the leaf or is that starting on the outside and be able to, to correct it that way? Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Some great information for sure. Some simple stuff that guys can look at and, and get a great idea of what direction to kind of go. So, no, great. Um, yeah, so kind of moving on, um, you know, obviously you get your soil test back. Um, you guys are either think, thinking about, uh, you know, frost seeding right now, you know, we're planting uh, spring food plots. We're almost there. Um, as far as, you know, uh, frost seeding, What's your take on how far into the spring we can kind of get away with uh, frost seeding? I know we were, we were kind of talking a little bit about um, how late you can go and still be successful and, <clears throat> excuse me, and you can kind of get ahead of those weeds. And I think that's kind of the, the main focus of still having uh, really good results uh, for frost seeding. So maybe what's your, your take and maybe some experiences you've had with that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the main thing with frost seeding is as long as it's freezing at night and thawing during the day, that's where that just, you know, that ground is moving and kind of working that the seed into the soil for you. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a huge deal. Um, but I think, too, one thing that either A, might get a little bit overlooked and or looked past because even if you're on the verge of freezing at night and thawing during the day, if you have exposed soil so you can get good seed to soil contact and you got heavy rains coming, you can still do a, a good job of either thickening up a clover plot or getting one established um, or even with switch, you know, I mean, obviously with switch, it's a little bit different. I'd, re I'd rather try to get that, get that freeze thaw, but with clover, um, I think you'd still be fine, even if you're right on that verge to where you might not be freezing and thawing every night. You might get one or two here and there. But as long as you got exposed soil and you're going to get some rains, there's still opportunities to go out there and really have a positive impact by frost seeding, even though it's technically not frost seeding at that point. But, uh, you know, the exposed soil is definitely a huge thing. And then, like I said, kind of, freezing and thawing and or heavy rains you're okay and i know like where i'm at we just had you know a couple inches of snow uh we had a heavy frost this morning and we're not quite out of the woods yet to where you still have some time and you know northern michigan northern wisconsin northern minnesota uh you know even over east there's still plenty of time because i just talked to a guy who's still got a couple inches of snow up north so 
Yeah. Yep. Um, I know. I know a guy I talked to a couple of weeks ago. He's, I think he's, he actually lives up in the UP and he said, yeah, they've still got like two foot of snow in the woods. So <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, he'll be waiting for a little while to even see the ground. <laughs> so, <clears throat> for sure. No, that's definitely uh, some great information. And, uh, um, it's, it's an awesome way to, uh, you know, establish a brand new plot. You know, I've, I've gone in on client properties and, uh, you know, you go in and, and um, cut bedding areas and travel corridors and, you know, you're bringing up, bringing down that canopy and you've got basically bare ground that all you need to do is, you know, remove a little bit of leaf litter and you can get in there in the spring and, and broadcast your, um, all your clovers and, and um, even, you know, some brassicas and stuff like that for, for late in the, in the summer. It's a great way to, to, uh, take full advantage and still kind of, um, protect that, that soil, um, that topsoil and it gets some good no-till action going. So yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, yeah. So kind of moving on from that, um, some great, I kind of wanted to dive into, um, some good alternatives, obviously uh, the glyphosate, uh, price is going up this year. And I kind of wanted to uh, hit on what your take is on some alternatives. Uh, if you get any experiences with them, maybe some ones that are uh, up and coming. And I kind of want to go through a, uh, a completely unbiased kind of um, outtake uh, on breaking down what's best for uh, your soil, what's best for uh, us as, as our health, as humans, and uh, our, our, our deer that we're ultimately feeding with our food plots. So um, kind of breaking down the good and the bad um, to both and, you know, the bad to some alternatives. I know I've seen different alternatives and you're looking at the ingredients going, ah, I don't really know if that's better than glyphosate or not. Um, so maybe kind of, kind of hit on that. I've done a little bit of research on some different stuff that I've found that was really interesting that I'll, uh, I'll try to, you know, interject into this. So yeah, if you kind of want to start on, um, what you found, we can kind of dive into that and talk about that for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Obviously, Roundup, glyphosate being, you know, I'm not going to say our only option, but the best option at the moment as far as complete, um, you know, non-selective weed control. Yeah. Uh, that's just been, it's been there for a while and it's still doing a good job now. Um, it's it's really hard to beat. Um, just beat the fact that it's non-selective. Obviously, the price going up is kind of making us seek out other options or alternatives but mm -hmm. also with everything else going on with glyphosate like you said kind of seeking out other alternatives you know is this the best thing that i can spray even though you know my deer are possibly ingesting this is this affecting my soil health at all i totally get that yeah and that's with i mean glyphosate it's basically salt um so the fact that if you're spraying that with, you know, exposed soil, there's nothing we can do. It's getting in the dirt. It's going to start building up your sodium levels in your soils. It's going to hinder biology. I mean, that's the facts. There's nothing we can do about it. It just, it is what it is. Yeah. And I, the, those are some negative impacts that um, are not helping us at all. Right. But with trying to figure out a different way to go about things, um, I guess there's, 
there's not a lot of other options right now. I mean, yes, you have 2,4-D for broadleaves. We have clethodim for for some grasses. Um, you know, clethodim doesn't work on all grasses, but some it does a very nice job. Uh, we do have glufosinate, which is Rely or Liberty or Reckon. You know, there's a lot of different trade names for that, but that's basically just Roundup's cousin. So uh, there's still a lot of salt in that. There's not a lot of difference from that to Roundup, but there's enough difference that, you know, it's a whole different line of products. And I would say that's definitely a good option right now if guys either A, can't find Roundup, or B, the price, you know, is just absurd, that I think there's still going to be some decent availability for a little while on that. Mm-hmm. So that's that if guys wanted to kind of search that out, that'd be that would be my next choice if I couldn't get my hands on Roundup for weed control. Okay. Yeah, so I mean <clears throat> and also obviously kind of, you know, relaying off of that and on alternatives. Obviously, you know, I, I I'm big on uh, no till and trying to use, you know, uh these new, you know, I guess I, I call them new, but they're really not new concepts it's using you know nat- natural god's creation how things you know were you know a thousand years ago when you had you know prescribed fires come through and, and the buffalo would run through your prairies and would kind of naturally set back that that succession um, and you'd have that new growth um, and i think kind of com- uh, uh, applying those same principles um, is kind of what we've gone back to you know we started in whatever the 19 i think 70s somewhere right around there uh, you know started turning over our dirt and turning over soil and um and or that might be when we started using glyphosate but we started you know doing these different practices and ultimately it started um, degrading our soil and now we can kind of there's a lot more research coming out and different studies on how we can you know uh, use regenerative agriculture and keep you know start building that soil biology and letting the soil fix itself um, and, you know, giving it what it needs with, you know, diversifying your, your, uh, your crops, using cover crops, all these different things. So I think those are, you know, using prescribed fire, you know, there's different alternatives to, you know, go about, um, you know, ultimately if you don't want to use glyphosate going around it. Um, but I really wanted to see, you know, and I'm going to keep diving into, like we had previously talked about, um, some different, um, alternatives. That don't have glyphosate in them, how well they work, are they healthy for the soil, are they healthy for us? Um, and I'm sure there's going to be more coming on the market um, that you know we'll keep testing and, and stuff like that. So definitely keep everyone in the loop on what's going on in that that side of things. Um, if you're you know obviously you still want a weed killer, but you don't want to use glyphosate. That's kind of the dilemma. Um, so yeah. I think too that's where. You know, you can really do a lot with crimping. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's the only answer. Yeah. I mean, you know, an answer for everything, I should say. Right. Uh, There are a lot of crops that we can take care of with crimping, and that's definitely a great one. Um, And, like, there's, uh, there's definitely some organic stuff on the farm side coming in. And that's one uh, I was going to do some trials with this spring and kind of see how that works just because I know there are guys that hands down, it's like, no matter what, I'm not using like, I get that. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, this is going to be a lot safer for our soils and, or if the deer that 
ultimately we're trying to eat ourselves or consuming. So there's definitely something to be looked at there and we're going to run some trials with that. And I think after those trials, we'll be able to actually sit down, compare price, compare results and go from there. But like you say, I mean, I think too, there's going to be some alternatives coming on the market, hopefully sooner than later. But, um, there's definitely a lot of ways to, to get around it. And even though it might not be as good as far as controlling weeds, there's still a lot of other benefits that you can get from other options. Like you were talking about with fire, um, or possibly some of these organic methods. And that's kind of, I'm going to say time will tell with the organic stuff. We'll, we'll do some plan with that, but that's, just something to keep in mind that there are alternatives and maybe, maybe crimping and fire. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that we can look at Absolutely. to keep an open mind. I'd say for sure. Yeah. I, you know, my, my ultimate goal, I was telling Brad Harper about this. Um, my ultimate goal behind this is, is really, I want to, I want to find out what's best for, you know, not only myself, but, but all of you listening, uh, what's best for us as land managers, what's better for our health, you know, our deer and our soil. Um, you know, I've seen different stuff that, uh, now is coming out on, you know, just in, in the food that we regularly consume, uh, they're finding traces of glyphosate in that. Um, so that, you know, there's a, there's a huge, I think, wave of, of things that are, that are coming kind of on, on, as far as in the, um, the actual agricultural side of things. And as far as regenerative agricultural movement, um, and kind of outlawing a lot of these, I shouldn't say out one, but reducing our inputs on herbicides and, and fertilizers. Um, and I think that's ultimately going to kind of relay over onto the, to the uh, food plot industry. And uh, I think ultimately, well, we're going to have healthier people and we're going to have healthier deer too. Um, you know, and that's just my opinion, you know, whether that turns out to be that way, only time will tell. But uh, so, yeah, that's just kind of, you know, my take, I don't know if you, you want to kind of relay off that because I know you see a lot of in the ag side of things um, that you know I don't get to see. Correct. I I definitely agree with you on that, and that's something that I have been making the change slowly but surely, like on my farm. Um, that when we do a better job of growing plants and letting you know getting the soil right, letting the soil work for us. Um, just an example, like I've cut my fungicides almost in half over the last 10 years now. Um, you know, there's still some, some ones that I have to make basically to, to pass the, you know, the bar as far as being able to sell my fruit in different spots. Sure. There's a lot of things to where it's like, I don't need those anymore because I'm growing healthier plants and they're able to grow through that stress. Yep. And they're just not showing the symptoms and that's kind of the same difference so <clears throat> when we're looking at what we're eating and trace that back i mean obviously that's all going to have an effect on that so i totally agree 100 percent. but i think also that that kind of lets us easily walk into that next thing of how are we using our roundup and or our herbicides to try to be as efficient as possible yep. with whatever we decide to do um just because I, I see it on Facebook a lot as far as guys wanting to use like a, a lower rate of glyphosate, like maybe on their clover or alfalfa, um, something of that nature. 
and or if you're out there just doing a total burn down trying to kill everything before planting Mm -hmm. if we make sure we read the label you know make sure you're following those directions i mean that's there for a reason absolutely if two quarts an acre i try to use that two quarts an acre and i think that's where you know the surfactants and the adjuvants all come into place as far as using ammonium sulfate replacement with roundup using um you know a crop oil with clethodim and ammonium sulfate replacement you know using a non-ionic surfactant with our butyrac all of those things are are there for us to do a better job while we're trying to kind of stay away from roundup resistant weeds because anytime we're going out with a herbicide or any pesticide of that sort and using a lower rate than what's suggested some of those weeds or pests whatever they're going to be able to grow through that and now they just you know grew up more of a resistance to that and that's kind of why we're in the predicament that we are in in a lot of the ag side so when we're looking at maybe doing a, a smaller rate of cly on our clover it's like well is it really worth that to possibly end up with some nasty weeds that now we can't kill with roundup in my hmm. opinion, no, because we are able to use buffetum and butyrac and utilize those surfactants and adjuvants. Um, that's just something to think about when you're kind of making your determination of, hey, I get it that, you know, a guy might not want to use Gly, and that's fine. Yeah. But let's just say he uses Rely. Well, still, read that label. Make sure use some adjuvants and surfactants because that's the same concept. You might have rely resistant weeds here shortly if, if we're using smaller rates or something like that. So that's just kind of something to throw in because I do see that a lot and I do deal a lot with, you know, roundup resistant weeds on the ag side. And that's kind of all a, a result of prior use that might not have been correct and or, you know, trying to maybe save a couple dollars here or there. So that's something to definitely think about. Yeah, no, for sure. When you guys are kind of thinking about, oh, I can, you know, and of course, you know, I think as you go more into that, you know, regenerative side and you're using more cover crops to smother weeds and, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're building up that fresh layer of topsoil that probably has less, ultimately less weed seeds in it. Um, then you can probably get away with reducing your, your inputs. Um, but yeah, for guys, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that are just wanting to go out there and, oh, I, you know, I'll just cut my, you know, herbicide uh, application in half or my amount that I'm using. Um, it definitely might be something to something to think about that you just touched on. So, No, exactly. And, and that's absolutely right, though. I mean, we're definitely able to reduce the amount of weeds by not working the ground. Um, but also, I think a major part of that is by doing a good job controlling the weeds when they do arise and not trying to cut corners at that time. Because you're still going to have weed seed there, you know, for, for years. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could keep killing a spot with Roundup, uh, the same spot, not even touch it. You're just still going to have weed seed there. That's just how Mother Nature works. But if we're able to run good cover crops, we stay away from tilling. We do a good job with our herbicides as we're doing that and we seek some alternatives you know it just it is going to get less and less and less to where you might say oh well there's not even enough weeds right now for me to really go out and spray glide so i'm just going to go out and crimp and 
uh, you know, grow my plot. It is what it is. So that's something to think about too, that we can definitely do a better job in the long run, you know, in the whole scheme of things by adding all of those different practices together. Yeah. And I think too, this might be kind of a, a twist on what we're talking about, but you know, I see a lot of, you know, yeah, everybody sees those pictures on social media and stuff of these, you know, beautiful, uh, you know, food plots and, um, but kind of relaying off of, off of these monocultures and stuff, uh, of different plants, how it affects, you know, your, your soil biology, if you can have diversity in that, I think, you know, having diversity in my eyes does two different things. It's helping your soil and it's also ultimately creating that diversity for your, for your deer because deer, deer are actually, you know, selective browsers. So they're always selecting, you know, what they need as far as nutrients. Um, and so maybe having, you know, you know, the better you know your weeds, the better you can kind of evaluate, but, you know, maybe you got to get some common ragweed, you know, a little bit of it in your food plot, you know, that, that actually, you know, if, if you talk to, uh, Brad Hart or uh, I'm sorry, um, um, I'm drawing a blank right now. He, uh, he's very big on the food plot side of things. Craig Harper, <laughs> same name, <Yeah. laughs> different first name. Uh, yeah, Craig Harper, he's done, obviously, um, wrote many books and, and, uh, he was recently doing a podcast that I was listening to through the MSU deer lab. And he was talking about, you know, just planting, um, you know, these different common ragweed and partridge peas and, and these different things that are basically just natural browse. Um, but maybe letting some of that, it's not a bad thing to let some of that come up, you know, in your food plot. Um, as long as they're not obviously taking over your, you know, what you're planting. Um, and obviously that's going to be, that's going to be different for every, every guy, um, in every situation, but maybe something to think about, you know, we always talk about diversity and, you know, you know, back to prescribed fire and disking, you're kind of doing that same thing where you're letting that natural, uh, succession grow up and, uh, and then you can kind of manage what you've got after you see, you know, what's going to come up. So. Exactly. I think too, that, like you say, it definitely depends on each person. But if that's something to where a guy wants to, you know, reduce his chemical footprint and he's growing cover crops for soil health. Um, I mean, obviously, when you're growing a diverse cropping system, not only are you have, like you said, the diversity for the soil and the deer, but every crop that you grow, they're putting off bacteria and fungi in the soil, which in turn actually helps other crops grow because each plant has their own bacteria and fungi that they're putting out. Yep. So multiple crops, they're all working together. And now you have X amount more than just a monoculture. And that's why I've been huge on that from day one, that uh, not only is that going to help with weed suppression and all your diversity aspects, but that's huge. So if a guy does want to try to reduce that, absolutely. I mean, you definitely depends on who you talk to but having some weeds in there if you're trying to reduce that it's not the end of the world yep and if i think that they're just want a magazine cover food plot i get that too and yeah you're, you're probably going to have higher yields on the crops you're growing i get that too right but it's kind of which road are you going to take i mean it's not really a fork in the road there's about eight different directions you can go so yeah just everyone you're going to pick know that there's options and knowing that a few weeds in there really isn't the end of the world, especially when you're possibly trying to cut out herbicide, not only saving you money, but hopefully helping 
soil health and everything else at the same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, um, focusing on getting a formed base, uh, you know, if you do have, you want to, you know, kind of let it go wild, I guess you could say, and let some weeds grow up in there and, and getting rid of most of your grasses. Um, I think that's really important. Um, just so guys understand what, or what I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at. Um, so yeah, no, for sure. Those are, those are some awesome different topics. Um, so yeah, unless you have anything else, I would like to, uh, I typically ask every listener, what would be your, your favorite, uh, food plot? If you could only plant one food plot, um, species, what would that be? What would be your go-to? Mine in my area, in which I will say a hundred percent depends on location. Okay. But for my area, I would plant clover. Okay. Now, do you have a specific clover that you like? Uh, I like a mix. Um, if I had to pick one, it would be Northwoods clover and chicory. Sure. Yep. Um, I want that diversity. I want, you know, a few different types of clover in there. And I really like the chicory. Um, and that would be mine because, yeah, the deer, the deer hit the brassicas. But if I go to my hunting property, that's an hour and a half to the east. I mean, it is hard to grow brassicas because they just hammer them. The minute they get out of the ground, yep. they eat every single bulb. I mean, it's just nuts. But here, they don't really touch them like they do over there. So mm-hmm. the thing that I've had the most success with here, and that's why, too, I think it's it's crucial for guys to play with stuff. Absolutely. Because they are different depending on your surroundings and everything else. So, But, I mean, from opening day to, you know, the last day of the season, there might be a foot of snow, but I got deer digging through the snow to get to my clover and chicory. And I think that, you know, that's just something that you have to play with and you have to run those diverse mixes because there might be something that obviously is not going to be very um, attractive at that time, late season. But if you have that diverse mix and that's what's working in your area, stick with it. But yeah, mine would definitely be clover. Yeah, no, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. No, yeah, every property is different. Every situation is different. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. I get asked, you know, on properties and stuff, well, what would you recommend planting? It's like, well, I, you know, I can't really tell you what, you know, your exact situation. You know, I can I can read it as best I can when I'm at the property and some information they give me. But um, that's why I, I always kind of gone back to plant that diversity, you know, that 10, 12 species and really observe what they're hammering at what time. And then you can really, you know, kind of dial in that mix and, and take out those those other ones that, you know, are, are less palatable. Yeah, and that's something, something to too, think like, about. I mean, um, I've had it where I recommend to do a few guys. It's like, hey, you need to plant, you know, five different strips, throw a camera on it, hunt over it. One might be a couple different types of clover. You might have a brassica blend. You might have all grains. I mean, with, you know, whatever it may be, but that's only going to help you to know, Hey, what are the deer in my area? What are they hitting? When are they hitting it? And what are they leaving alone? Um, And, and other than literally doing strips, marking them, having a camera on it, hunting over it, you're, you're not really going to know that. And because I see it so much with how many people in different areas that I cover that it is totally different. I mean, overall, yeah, there's a, 
you know, a broad spectrum of stuff. But until you know that in your area, that's only going to benefit you. Yeah, for sure. And uh, one more thing I kind of wanted to uh, kind of relay off of that too. One of the things I have has really helped me out as far as managing, you know, my deer herd um, and, and uh, managing how much, you know, what I'm planting and uh, how much food plot, you know, space I have to plant as far as acreage um, is having a utilization cage. Um, I've, you know, it's such a simple thing, but it's, uh, it's been a tremendous help for me to, to kind of manage my herd and, you know, figure out, okay, you know, and it's a great thing for um, not only just monitoring your herd, but how much other um, browse, you know, you have available on your property. Um, that's kind of, you know, getting off on another topic, but uh, you know, it's kind of a, a very simple thing, but it's very effective. It shows that real world ex uh, example right in front of you. You can walk up to it. You can see what's growing at. And, uh, you know, it's for the most part or uh, most of the time when I'm, I'm looking at them, you know, and I've had a utilization cage, it, you know, they're a foot tall inside and everything else looks like you just ran over with a lawnmower. So, yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. I mean, because you, you don't really know exactly what's going on. Even if you got cameras on food plots, I mean, it, it just is what it is. Yeah. There's not really a good way to tell how good everything's growing, how much browse is actually getting. Uh, you know, how much they're hammering it. So I agree a hundred percent. That's something so simple and so cheap that uh, it's well worth putting one in every single food plot. Yeah. Yeah. And then for those who don't know what a utilization cage is, uh, it's basically a, a small cage, you know, it can be, you know, a foot, uh, two foot wide, uh, in, a, in a circular, uh, and then it can be, you know, whatever, a couple feet tall. Uh, depending on, you know, what you're planting and what you've got planted in that field that it's in. Um, but it basically, it's a cage where the deer can't get in and browse uh, whatever crop you've got planted. And it really shows, you know, what exactly the height would be if, let's say, you had no deer. Um, so it gives you a good a good um, meter, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So, awesome. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here, Brad. And, uh I'm excited to uh, maybe do some more in the future and kind of keep diving into some more soil health stuff, some glyphosate alternatives, kind of do some more testing, and uh, we'll try to keep all you listeners kind of informed on different trials we're doing throughout the uh, spring and summer, and uh, yeah, we'll just see where it goes, see what we find. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you having me, uh, looking forward to the next time, and, and two, I guess, keep me posted because, you know, listener feedback for me. If, if all of a sudden we see, you know, hey, there's 25 questions on the same topic, let's tackle it, you know, because that's kind of the end goal anyways. So anybody's got any questions, reach out to him, reach out to me, let us know, and we'll, we'll make sure we try to go in depth more than just a simple answer. That's what's so great about the podcast that we can really kind of dive a little deeper than just giving a, you know, a couple sentence response on an email or something like that. So uh, anybody's got questions, let us know. And yeah, I appreciate you having me on and looking forward to the next one. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. My phone is always available. There's going to be a link in the description for all my information and for Brad's. Um, so feel free to reach out. And ultimately, like I said, you know, to Brad uh, earlier, I want to, I want to do what's best for, uh, for us and for deer and ultimately for our viewers and, and you guys as land managers and hunters. So cool. Well, you enjoy the rest of your evening, and uh, we will talk again soon.
All right, man. That sounds good. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye. Well, guys, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and you got some good takeaways. I know I did. I learned a lot. And uh, that's the main goal of this podcast is to keep continuing to learn and strive to uh, become better uh, land and habitat managers. So I will leave um, Brad Harper's information in the link in the description below for his website and his Facebook. Also, my information will be there. So feel please feel free to reach out to us with any questions or uh, some other topics that you'd like discussed. I'm excited to bring on many other uh, experts on here discussing topics uh, like this in the future. So please stay tuned for the next couple episodes, and I will catch you in the next one. Thanks, guys.